The Tanya opens up the title page, quoting a verse from the Torah where Moses tells the Jewish people in the final days before his passing, 40 days before he passes away, This is not very far from you. Rather, This matter is very near to you. Your mouth will and your heart so to do it. These are the words of Moshe, Moses, that he turns to the Jewish people and he says that Judaism is accessible, it's relevant, it's achievable, it's close. And says the author of the Tanya, Lavar Eich, Hikarav Ma'id, Ktsara, we are going to explain in this book of the Tanya how it is very close in a long, short way. In other words, the Tanya is our spiritual guide of how Judaism can be relevant. How God can be relevant. How mitzvahs can be relevant. And really more than that of what we're looking to achieve in the world at large. But Tanya really looks at life on a very... Uh, on, on multiple levels, in all areas, to help us understand why we wake up in the, in the morning, what we need to achieve and how we can achieve it. With everything that we do, not only in our mitzvahs and our religious life, but in general, why are we here? These are all fundamental questions that the Tanya deals with. Why are we here? What difference do I make? How can I, a finite being, connect, connect with the infinite? And it's been a journey, a journey that consists of 53 chapters. And the Tanya says, in the, in the, right at the beginning, the author says that it's this, this, this I will explain in a long, short way. Because there's no quick fixes. Really, in order to, as my mother just mentioned, in order to achieve what needs to invest. And the same goes for our Yiddishkeit, for our Judaism, and for purpose in our life. We need to invest in it. How do we invest in it? By committing. By committing time and energy. By making it a part of our life. And that's why it's the long, short way. There's no quick fixes. It's not just about the inspiration that one feels on a Yom Kippur. But it's really about continuous work. Okay, so it's continuous work. But it's very doable. It's very achievable, and it's really enjoyable. It just requires that work. So what is the work? So you're all here. You've signed up for the course. You're looking to uh, um, come out with tools for life. So what does this course consist of? If I was to divide everything that we've learned to the Tanya until this point, I would divide it into three points. The first step for us to achieve what we need to achieve in this world is to know who we are. And that was the discussion of the first 
14 chapters of the Tanya. The Tanya described, I can't do 14 chapters in even 14 minutes. The Tanya described how we have a godly soul, a part of us that wants to connect with Hashem. How we have an animal soul, the more instinctive side of us that wants just personal success. And uh, from chapters 9 onwards, within this first module of 14 chapters, the Tanya addresses the battle, the battle of the souls. How we can handle these two very different interests that exist inside every one of us. We're schizophrenic. The good news is that the animal soul is not bad. It's just selfish, but that's not bad. And so the ultimate goal is to get the two souls to work together, to get the godly soul to utilize the talents and the energy of the animal soul in the service of God and in achieving what we need to achieve. That was the first discussion, understanding who we are. If we realize that we have a part of Hashem inside of us and we realize that there's a genuine part of us that wants to connect to God and that there's also another side to us and it's okay, it's okay to have these very conflicting interests from minute to minute. The challenge is, is how to get them to work together. That's the first step of the Tanya, understanding who we are. The next step of the Tanya is having the motivation to achieve more. In chapter 15, the author describes how uh, a uh, donkey that would drive 10% more instead of 10 kilometers, 11 kilometers would cost double the price. Why? It's just a 10% increase. Why would you pay double? The answer was because the fact that it could go one extra kilometer tells you it's a completely different type of donkey. Mm. To go the extra mile is not just to push a little more. It's, it's to be having a different operating system. So the motivation to achieve more. What is that emotion, motivation to achieve more? Says the Tanya, it's only one thing. And that is having a relationship, being emotionally engaged. And the Tanya continues with a long discussion on how every Jew has within him a natural love of Hashem. And it's only up to us to reveal it. And how that is the game changer. That's the difference between the 10k donkey and the 11k donkey. It's, it's a different type of engine. But if we're not aware that we have that engine, then we're not going to use it. Absolutely. So we need to work on having a relationship with Hashem, of have, with having emotional engagement in our Judaism. The motivation to do mitzvahs. That was point number two. To go the extra mile requires feeling, emotional engagement, a relationship. That was chapters 18 to 25 or 15 to 25. And the third discussion we had, which was a very large one, was how to overcome being sad 
and being lazy. Two big issues that we all deal with as well. Part of the human condition is that sometimes we're feeling down, sometimes we're feeling lazy. And when we are feeling down and lazy, Tanya says that's a big problem. It, it, it cripples our abilities to achieve. So how do we rise above that? And here I can't summarize it in one line because the Tanya in each chapter addresses different causes for a person to be feeling sad or to be feeling down and what he ought to tell himself to deal with that particular challenge, whether it be physical or spiritual hardships, whether it be frustration in, 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 in our abilities to achieve, whether it be uh, um, uh, relentless um, obstacles. You know, every time we want to achieve, then there's just something else that hits us and knocks us off our feet. All of these challenges are real. And the Tanya gives specific insights to each of these challenges that empower us not only to uh, stay the course, but on the contrary to rise stronger and happier. And this third discussion of the Tanya, which runs from chapter 26 up to chapter 34, describes not just how to rise above the challenges of being down and being lazy, but on the contrary, how to achieve tremendous levels of joy. And uh, an example that comes to my mind, although I never knew him personally, was by one of my father's mentors, Rabbi Mendel Futterfuss, who you may have heard about. He was a a joyful man. And uh, he had tremendous sorrows in his life. And yet he just, he had such a spirit, such a happiness, such a joy to him. And, you know, they tell the story of the, of the guy that comes to the rabbi and he says that, um, please, I'm looking for happiness. And the rabbi says, I'll tell you who to speak to. You've got to speak to the town, cl- the town clown. He's always happy. And he said, but I am the town clown. Oh. So we're not talking about that. Uh, maybe there's different angles to that story. Remendel Fittipas wasn't a person that just feigned it, that he, he, he forced a smile on his face despite his hardships. He really plugged into a space of joy. That's something that we all can achieve in, in whatever circumstances, whatever challenges, we have the ability to live with joy. That was, in summary, the first 34 chapters, 34 out of 53. More recently, we discussed beyond our personal journeys of A, understanding who we are, B, seeing how we could be emotionally engaged, and C, achieving joy, beyond all of that is what is the higher purpose of this world? Why did God create this world? Can we achieve something beyond ourselves? Beyond our personal journeys of achieving joy, of of understanding who we are, of going the extra mile, can we make a difference to the world at large? Can we save the planet? That's what we spoke about in chapters 37, 38, we spoke about how God's desires to be brought into the lowest and darkest of places. And that he challenges us to achieve. And the Tanya says the reason God created this world, which is filled with all types of schmutz, with all types of filth and, and, and hardships and, and, and challenges, is because he believes that we, me and you, have the capacity 
to change it, to bring light to that darkness. And our final discussion that we had from chapters 35 to 40 was the uh, role of intention versus action. Once we're talking about how we can have an effect on the planet, the Tanya there focuses on the power of action. Greater than all of the greatest of intentions, how one action is really what makes a difference to this world and what has its effect. But after making its case in chapters 36, 7 and 8 about the importance of action, in our last class, in chapters 38, 9 and 40, the author speaks about the importance of intention. And I summed it up in uh, four approaches. The bottom is intention without action. And as I mentioned, that doesn't qualify. You can have the best intentions in the world, but if you don't act on it, then you're not achieving anything. You're not achieving your mission in this world. For that, the soul doesn't need to be in the body. It could be in heaven. In heaven, there's all wonderful spiritual energies. But the reason a soul comes down into this world is to make a difference. And so as long as we have intentions without actions, it's worthless. Apologies. One level up from that is good actions with bad intentions. A person is doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And that's already good. Why? Because action matters most. And so even if it's for the wrong reasons, he is making a positive difference in this world. Now, seven ish Yeah. First we do, and then we understand. Because doing is what really makes a difference. This is personified by the uh, poor man that comes knocking on the door and uh, he's hungry and the rich man answers the bell and he asks, how can I help you? And he says, I'm hungry. And the rich man answers, he says, you know, I'm in a bad mood now. I don't want to give it to you grumpily. Come back another day. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care how grumpy you are. I want food. You can throw it at me in my face, but I'll have what to eat. So... Yes, it's bad intentions. It could be bad intentions. But if the action is good, it's making a positive difference. But obviously, that's very far from satisfactory. You certainly don't want to be throwing the food at the guy's face. I'm just I'm using, giving the example to the extreme. Sometimes a person would prefer not to be given and to be thrown at him, of course. I'm just saying in a situation, sometimes a person needs. If they need, they need. And the action is what matters. So it's bad. The intention is bad. But the action is good. So how do we go up from there? Level up from that is good action with no intention. The action is good and there's no good intention. There's no bad intention either, but there's just no intention. It's just out of rote. It's just out of uh, uh, maybe uh, just being trained that way. You're following society. So you're doing the right thing. But you don't really have any interest or excitement or passion about what you're doing. You're just doing it because you're doing it. Out of habit. And level four is good action with good intentions. 
And how do we rectify bad intentions? So obviously, if there's no action, there's nothing to rectify because nothing happened. So if you had good intentions and no action, then it's time to start. You haven't crossed the start line. If you've got good actions with bad intentions, so the Tanya does say that the intentions are what give energy and passion. And more than that, spiritual wings to enable our actions to be able to reach high places. And so when we're doing something good for the, for, with bad intentions, what happens is the good action does become trapped. So we're doing something good, but it's trapped in a bad shell. So how do we fix it? So firstly, keep doing it because the action is good. Yes, it's trapped right now. It's, it's stuck. But keep doing it because the action is good. And then when you develop a good intention and you get rid of your bad intentions, you'll be able to utilize all of the good actions that you performed. An example of this is um, if, you have a, if you're a teacher and you're teaching Torah, but you have a particular student that is off the rails, he's actually he's, he's, he's using everything that you're teaching against Judaism. He, he's using it to spite you. And you wonder, you know, why have him in the class if everything that you say is just being used against you? So um, our sages tell us, You should even teach that things are going bad because ultimately it will go good. Which means right now, he's taking in all that energy and he's utilizing it in the wrong places. But he's still taking it in. And when he turns around, then he'll suddenly have all of that that he achieved, that he already learned, and he'll be able to utilize it in a positive sense. So when we do things for the wrong reasons or for bad reasons, keep doing it. But when we're able to break that negative shell, we're able to allow the mitzvahs to fly high. And uh, certainly when we're doing things with no passion, with no intention, again, we keep doing them. But then we work on developing a good intention, a good passion. And then when we do that, we elevate not only the actions that we are now doing with passion, but all the previous actions that we did without passion also become elevated. And I'll take the example. We're just talking about the daily study of Rambam. You know, this was a three-year course. And uh, deep in the middle, there were days where there wasn't much of a feeling of passion. It was, you know, laws that seemed very uh, um, difficult or abstract or not relevant. And, but it was a course. It's a course of the Rambam that really covers every single topic in, in Judaism. It's, it's a huge course. It's a thousand chapters. But then we came yesterday to the, to, to the Siyam, to the celebration. And then every one of those chapters along the way that were done in the middle, and you know, when things were unmotivated, became so elevated. They were now all what you know brought us to this huge celebration, to this huge achievement. So even when we're doing things without passion, we should keep doing it. Uh, but then look at how we can invest passion. And when we do invest passion, the passion not only elevates these new activities that we are now doing with passion, it also elevates all the previous mitzvahs that we were doing along the way. That's a discussion on intention and action. Can I um, add something? Yes. Um, what comes to mind now is like a regret that I have. Many years ago, when I was probably a teenager, I was at camp, and there was one person who was extremely like lively and 
you're like not my style, like too much. And he was such an unbelievable person. I could say that now more than I said it then because he affected this world in the most unbelievable way. He affected people, he cared about people, but he got on my nerves. I was like this young little nothing, really, and I don't know how I could be so uh, full of myself to think that this guy is like, just getting on my nerves because it's just not my way. I'm just trying to think why I'm telling you this. Um, Forgot. Why would I tell intention, you action, good intentions, passion, passionate. So I, guess, I guess maybe this was this is my point. Maybe like I thought that he was too loud. And at the time I thought, okay, like nothing's worth anything. He's just too loud. Like I, I didn't appreciate anything that was being done because it's not my kind of personality. How foolish was I? Because he was affecting so much. Whether he was loud or not is questionable. Probably not even. I'm sure I made a huge mistake. But even if he was doing something not with 100% the nicest, most beautiful way that everybody appreciates, like, wow, how could I look down at him for a second? The action was there. I was doing nothing. I was being quiet, doing nothing. He was doing everything. So that's unbelievable. Anyway, that's my a little thought that I have. You remember it so many years yeah, later. Yeah, I remember how wrong I could have been at that time to think the way I did. And then we come to the final stretch of the Tadya, chapters, which we've just begun now, chapters 41 to 53. And the final, the, the final 13 chapters, I'll tell you a story. The author of the Tanya sat in jail for 53 days. Why? Believe it or not, because there were many uh, religious Jews that felt that this work, this tanya, was just not in line with traditional Judaism. This is just something, it just took, it was, it was a whole new angle, a whole new perspective. It just wasn't following, it just didn't seem, you know, generally, there, there were certain, there was a certain approach to Judaism. You learn the laws, there's a discipline, there's the commitment, but to start having this whole new approach, the Hasidic approach, uh, enlisted tremendous op opposition. And uh, so strong was the rabbinic opposition against the author of the Tanya that they spoke of him to the authorities, to the Russian authorities, and he was put in jail. Now, it's quite understandable, just to give you a little bit of context, okay, a little bit of a tangent. This concept existed from uh, about a hundred years before him, from the, really the founder of the Hasidic movement, was, which was the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov began to teach this new Hasidic approach less than a hundred years after Shabtai Tzvi. Anybody heard of Shabtai Tzvi? Shabtai Tzvi was a Torah scholar that was well-versed in Kabbalah and very quick, very dynamic, very engaging and very quickly he enlisted a huge following. There were many, many Jews and rabbis that were very excited about Shabtai Tzvi's new approach to Judaism. Well, the end of the story was that he converted to, uh, to Islam. Yeah. Yeah. And he, was, he said he was Mashiach, it was a false messiah. And it's a, it's a terrible story, but the people were completely broken. You know, he completely misled them. I'm obviously oversimplifying the story, but after a story like Shabtai Tzvi, 
the uh, uh, the leadership were very, very apprehensive and scrutinized anything that now seemed novel and exciting. And here, less than a hundred years later, came the Baal Shem Tov, which was just that. Again, there was a novel approach, there was an exciting approach, and, you know, a big focus on joy, a big focus on song, just some of these things that just hadn't been focused on in the Jewish communities at the time. And again, he faced tremendous opposition, and that continued um, uh, over the next few generations. Only now, a few hundred years later, um, is the Tanya respected in every religious circle. You know, there's no, there's no uh, even in, in any circle, whether, the, whether they consider themselves Hasidic or non-Hasidic, every circle today would respect the Tanya. But that happened o- over time. What changed over time? That people saw that the Tanya is not... Um, Delusional. It's not taking people away from the Judaism. On the contrary, it's really helping them strengthen in, in their in their observance. So I guess uh, just pass the test of time. Why do I mention all of this? Because the author of the Tanya was in jail for fifty three days, and there's a Hasidic tradition that he was in every day he was in jail was corresponding to one of the fifty three chapters of the Tanya. Wow. Yeah. So. While he was in jail, his uh, teachers appeared to him. The Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidus, which he referred to as his spiritual grandfather, and his actual teacher, the Magid, Rav Dovber, of Mezrich. And he asked them, spiritually speaking, why am I in jail? You know, physically, he knew what was going on. He knew the opposition and he knew everything that was going on. But everything has a spiritual reason. Why am I in jail? And uh, the Baal Shem Tov said to him, that there's been a heavenly um, kitrug, a uh, prosecution against you. <laughs> that you're taking these deep Kabbalistic insights and you're just spreading it with the masses. It's, it's, it's out of place. It's, 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 it's a desecration of these, of these great teachings. And he asked, should I stop? And the, uh, his teachers responded, no, you've paved the way. You, you, you've proven yourself. You've shown that this is, you, you, this is a, a new approach where many of these deep Kabbalistic concepts can in fact uh, be learned and taught for every single Jew to know. Not just the Kabbalists, not just people at a high level. Um, this is while he was in jail. Can you repeat the um, complaints towards him in the heavenly courts? The complaint was that he's taking many very holy teachings that until then had been reserved to people that are on a high spiritual level and he's sharing these teachings with the masses, it's it's it's, it's a uh, uh, he's maybe profaning these 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 holy sort texts, these holy sources that until then were not were not accessible by the masses, and and he asked his teachers, should I stop? And they said, no, you've paved the way, you've proven yourself, uh, you've proven that many of these teachings can and must, or or, or we've of time we've seen how essential it is to really live with these. Hasidic teachings, and a lot of what we've learned over the last 40 chapters has been often deep Kabbalistic concepts, but as they are um, explained and taught in a way that they can inspire every Jew in their daily living as a Jew. So but, per- I mean, you've taught us simplistically, you know, not, uh-huh. maybe there was a deeper level that they uh-huh. were referring to. No, so, so I'll just give you a few examples. No, not saying that you No, 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 sure. No, so, so, I'm so, just saying... Don't worry. One of the ways that Hasidus describes Hashem's greatness is his simplicity. <laughs> simplicity is, is, 
is his simplicity, pshitus. Uh, Hasidus describes how simplicity could be much greater than complexity. Yeah, so there's, there's no contradiction. So I'll just give you a few examples. Um, in the very first chapter of the Tanya, the Tanya speaks of two souls. And to, a classic um, um, Jewish teaching spoke about one soul. Soul and a body. You have a body and you have a soul. The fact that there's two souls was a revolutionary uh, concept. Hasidic concept, okay. uh, which comes from Kabbalah. It comes from uh, Chaim Bichtal and Sharak Tusha. It's, it's not something you'll find anywhere in the Talmud. Nowhere in the Talmud will you find two souls. But yes, Tanya introduces it by quoting from our morning prayers every day where we speak about God, the souls that you've implanted within us. So every Jew every day was speaking about the souls, but I guess maybe they thought collectively or they didn't think too much about it. But Kabbalah, these deep Kabbalistic teachings explain, no, every person has not one soul but two souls. And that becomes the whole foundation of the Tanya, that we don't just have two voices inside of us, but we have two realities, two personalities within us. It's just one example. But throughout the last 40 chapters, we've very often been bringing from Kabbalistic sources to help us understand in simple ways how to live as Jews. So we bring from everywhere. The Tanya is called a collection of sayings. Sometimes we'll bring from a, a, a classic verse in the text. Sometimes we'll be from a section of Talmud, which is well known from Ethics of Our Fathers. And sometimes we'll be from Kabbalah. The how, fact did, how did they start studying... Kabbalah. Like what? So, so traditionally, uh, Kabbalah was something that a person learned once they were well versed in other sections of but time. But like, where does it come from? It's not in the time. You know, did they sit Okay, that's beyond the scope. How did they work out? I have, I, 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 I'm happy to explain it, but I can't right now. Okay. Okay. So from uh, the Talmud, you mean how they changed everything? Well, no, how did they develop? So, so the same. It's just, world. it's just worth noting that the same authors of the Kabbalah, of the Zohar, are the same rabbis of the Talmud. It's the same people. It was just a different work which was, resolved, which was, which was reserved for a different type of people. Sometimes you can have, you know, what do they say? You have checkers and shoprite, right? It's the same thing. It's the exact same prices. But checkers is targeting one target audience and shoprite is another target audience. So some people will only shop in shoprite. The other day I needed something in ShopRite. I needed acid for my pull, I think it was. They didn't have it because anybody that's going to ShopRite doesn't have a pull. But it's the same company as Checkers. So uh, sometimes it's the same rabbis, but it was different, different approaches reserved for different people. But the Baal Shem Tov completely revolutionized that. The, the Baal Shem Tov began to take many of these Kabbalistic teachers, teachings and, and, and to teach them in a way that they can be correctly received and understood and implemented by every Jew. So the purpose was to access every Jew, not, to, not the higher teachings of To, to utilize the highest of teachings in the service of the lowest or of the simplest of Jews. It can go to the people. To, to take from the highest and reach it to the lowest. And really the higher something is, the lower it could reach. And, and uh, it, it, people often ask, you know, my grandfather didn't learn Chassidus, so what do I need it for? If you're telling me this is something novel and something unique, and, and so, so, so why? You know, what Judaism wasn't good enough until then? So the Rebbe gave two answers to this. The one was that, unfortunately, we're dealing with much greater forms of darkness than our ancestors did in the shtetl. You know, this is before the world of internet. The Rebbe already spoke about how 
he gave an analogy of, you know, if you say that, you know, my grandfather, he always leaves a window open, but yeah, maybe you only saw him in the summer, but now it's winter, you know, so there's, there's forces of, of challenges, and, and certainly anybody that, it's, that's, that is in the realm of education, will, uh, you know, educa- educating children will be able to testify how the challenges that kids deal with today are, are unprecedented. Yes, there are certain things that reoccurring, but there are certain things that are really just, you know, it's shocking how God can really give young children such huge challenges. And so the Rebbe said that as the darkness has intensified, Chassidus comes to give added motivation and insight that is able to combat that darkness. It's an amazing thing how, you know, certainly shivers that focus on, on kids that are, that are more challenged. When I say challenged, I mean spiritually more challenged, you know, more, more lost or more trying to find their way, often from very religious homes and backgrounds, often the children of rabbis. And uh, it's an amazing thing how you can walk into a yeshiva and the boys, some of the time, will be, uh, you know, really, I don't know, maybe smoking, maybe watching uh, movies of all sorts. And then they'll be like a Fabregan, and they'll be there, they'll be present, and they'll be excited, and, 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 and it's not a contradiction. And how is that? It's because of this Hasidic dimension, when they realize that despite whatever they do, they have a neshama, they have what to celebrate, and what and that's an incredible, it's an amazing phenomena, which, which in other places could possibly not exist. You know, the guy could decide, if I'm out, I'm out. This is not for me. So there's no doubt about it that Judaism certainly, or Chassidus certainly, gives um, novel, uh, meaningful tools that are able to inspire the uninspired, that is the, the, the person that's dealing with challenges that in the past they weren't dealing with. Can I add Interestingly, a second reason why uh, we study Chassidus is to prepare for the, the, uh, the world of Mashiach. Part of our daily prayers every day is we dabble for Mashiach. When Mashiach comes, God will become more real in our lives. 
And that's a big part of what Chassidus does. When we learn Chassidus, God becomes more real. And that obviously is a key component in whatever we spoke about. When I summarized these last 40 chapters, I spoke about, it was all, you know, understand, A, understanding ourselves, and B, having the motivation to achieve more, and, 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 and number C, overcoming the obstacles of sadness and reaching joy. A key component of all of this was making God more real. And, and again, that happens not through quick fixes and not through just Yom Kippurs, it's through continuous investment in our relationship with Hashem. We've got to already start wrapping up. I mean, finish wrapping up. Uh, the last 13 chapters, so there's a, there's a, I mentioned there was a, there's a tradition that the 53 days that the Alter Rebbe was in jail, spiritually speaking, corresponded to the 53 chapters of Tanya that we're learning. And his last 13 days were the roughest. So he was being interrogated by the Russian police. And it was like quite philosophical interrogation. In the last 30 days, it was like a lot of discussion on, you know, God and, 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 and people and belief in God and the way that they um, would question the Altarebbe would be with tremendous disrespect. It would like really, they would speak about God and our relationship with God in the most derogative and coarse and inappropriate ways, really try to laugh away the whole thing. And the Altarebbe systematically responded to the interrogations, explaining you know, what it means, the belief in God and our purpose and how we connect with Him. And so there's a tradition that the final 13 chapters of the Tanya are focused primarily on the relationship with the Jew and God in correspondence to the final 13 days wow. that the Alter Rebbe was interrogated in jail, primarily about what is this uh, Jewish obsession of relationship between Jew, between Jew and God. So please God, next week we will begin this final stretch of the Tanya, these final 13 chapters, which speak about the relationship between us and Hashem. And we're going to start with a very basic and essential component of our relationship with God. Stay what tuned. Is, what did the, uh, 